This is Max McEwen on Radio Free Leader. Welcome to Radio Free Leader. I'm your host, David Burkis, best-selling author and recovering academic, and this is the show that tears down the wall between the ivory tower and the corner office. Each episode brings you an outstanding thinker to help you lead smarter by sharing insights from social science and practical applications for leadership, innovation, and strategy. Make sure you stay up to date with Radio Free Leader and get some great stuff we don't share on the show by joining our community. You can sign up on the show notes page for this episode at davidberkuscom slash 730 or text Radio Free to 33444. We'll even get you caught up with our Radio Free Leader Starter Kit. It's a collection of our most popular episodes sent right to your email inbox. So you can listen in just one click. In addition, you'll get an invitation to join The Circus. This is our private Facebook group where we discuss insights from these episodes, insights from articles that we have enjoyed, and also you know what we're reading now, what we're watching now, and how it's improving our leadership, innovation, and strategy. To join that, get the starter kit, and make sure you never miss an episode of Radio Free Leader. Go to davidberkins.com slash 730. And click on the little button that says get the starter kit. Or you can text Radio Free all one word, to 33444, and we'll email you all of those resources. This week, we're talking to Max McEwen. Max is a recurring guest on the show. He's a a favorite author of mine. Uh, He's a professor of strategy. He is a brilliant mind in terms of innovation, and he's the author of the new book, Now, or as we learned, it's also being called Hashtag Now. It's a fantastic book about putting a nowist philosophy against a thenist philosophy. What do you do with the three seconds you have between the past and the future? How do you decide what, what decisions to make? How do you impact your own future? And how can you adopt a mentality that lives in the present more than worrying about the future or regretting the past? We talk about it not just from the standpoint of individual success, but what I really appreciated about this book was the standpoint of what this means for our organizations and how organizations will have to adopt to take advantage of people who have this nowist philosophy and how everybody can benefit from that. It's a fantastic interview. I even offered to pay Max for a, a little bit of a psychiatry session that we had there towards the end. You can learn about my changing from a thenist to a nowist philosophy. So I hope you'll stay for the whole episode. It's a really great episode. I enjoyed recording it, which always means it's going to be a great listen as well. So without further ado, here's Max McEwen. So who are you and what do you do? I'm Max McEwen, Dr. Max McEwen. I focus on how humans shape the future, and that's a mixture of strategy, innovation, and psychology. So we're going with Dr. Max McEwen now. Is well, that, we can do is it. That, is, that, <laughs> is that because of the new beard that you, you, <laughs> we want people to make sure that, no, 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 I'm a, I'm a doctor, I'm an academic, I'm not a sorcerer? Well, somebody actually did say, once said, I think it was Steve Jobs said, every time someone introduced themselves as a doctor, you know you shouldn't work with them. <laughs> so <laughs> it, could, it could be that. Uh, I, I, I think it, it came about a little bit because it is shorthand, as you know. It's shorthand for, I won't tell you all the things that I've learned uh, and the degrees and the research I've done, but just with these two, two little letters, you'll know that maybe I did some of those things. So it was shorthand. It became Dr. Max, or in Japan, Dr. Max-san. Oh, that's cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So we are uh, chatting today about the new book. So let me ask you. So in my head, I've been uh, going back and forth between calling this book now or calling it hashtag now. What do you actually refer to this book as? People are tending to refer to it as, the, as hashtag now, 
which will grow old, no doubt. But the reason it came about was that that hashtag ended up meaning something in the context of the book. Mm. So we we kept it there because right there between the, the circles you see on the cover between the past and the present, that intersection, that hashtag, that's this moment now. Three seconds. Yeah. And you, that's one of the things I really liked about um, the book in general. I was expecting um, sort of, I'll, well, I'll be open and honest, I was expecting just another book about mindfulness, right? And and just another book about how to be sort of how to live in the moment, etc. But this is actually a, a, a well-researched, lots of empirical data behind this importance of these sort of three seconds. It's more than just kind of that greeting card of you know, the, the future is is uncontrollable and the past is already gone. So all you have is the present type of a thing. It's a, it's a whole lot deeper than that. I'm curious, though, I still feel like it's a bit of a pivot from your normal writing and your normal work. So I'm, I'm curious as to what led you to want to pursue this book. I think in part, I've always been focused on psychology as part of strategy and innovation and organizational culture, that, that kind of angle. And then that led me to doing more uh, psychology qualifications. Uh, I, I sort of did, did another di- master's degree in psychology because I was interested. And then as you do more and more research, you, you want to share some of those ideas. You know how all strategy is just psychology. It's your theory of mind and their theory of mind. And you, you compete or, or collaborate. So, so in this case, uh, it had two angles. One was a publisher came to me and said, Max, you, you write all about this uh, reacting to unplanned opportunities. And, you know, Joe Ito, this guy over at MIT, he says you have to create the future. And instead of being a futurist, you can be a nowist. Have you got something to say about that? And when I brought together the the psychology and what has been learned about how to make the most of this moment and the strategy work that I'd already done, I, I found something really quite valuable. I found it valuable and then I wanted to share it. Hmm. I actually, I really like that term uh, strategy as competitive psychology, uh, especially, I mean, we're recording this during the Olympics, so it seems incredibly, uh, incredibly appropriate. Um, I, I guess my uh, I'm, I'm with you. I, I hear you on that. And I guess my my next question has to do with I, I just want to say that I was surprised by the level of sort of organizational and business context. So my, my issue with the mindfulness research is it's always been hard to to find like it's always been hard to find the the bigger a- application beyond your sort of personal life. And I don't, I'm not I don't mean to underchange that we're just we're not that kind of show. Um, so I was always kind of looking for something in this regard. And I really enjoyed that with, with this. I enjoyed the, the nowist concept. I actually really liked the number of studies that were done about the ways that different people deal with now. So there's, there's one particular study where they looked at, um, I, I, what the researchers called sort of the antisocial and the entrepreneurial. And it was a very interesting study on what do you do with your now, especially when you're sort of not already entertained. Um, earlier, uh, before we started recording, I told you about my concept of the sort of entertainment insurance uh, idea to make sure that I'm, I'm never bored, which is kind of depressing because it means that I'm definitely in the, um, the antisocial sort of thrill seeker category, not the entrepreneurial category. 
Yeah, um, so you're paying 99 cents for the movie of the week, just right. in case. Just in case, just in case I'm going to watch it this week. Right, exactly. Uh, uh, and, and I do the same with audiobooks. So I might be reading a Marvel comic, listening to an audiobook, and attempting to write something <laughs> all at the same time, uh, all in an effort to, to keep myself sort of sufficiently stimulated. But the, the reason I found that so, well, I mean, I found it interesting was that it was an empirical basis for what um, Ryan Holiday in his newest book, uh, Ego is the Enemy, exposed me to this concept of a live time versus dead time. And that was the other tangent I really saw along along this book is, is this, this question of how do you spend your time? So there's the three seconds. But the bigger thing that I found interesting from all the research in this book was actually the kind of the question is, what do you do? What do you default to in that moment when you've got the opening? How do you spend that time? Do you spend it alive doing things that will actually increase your mastery or have you learn new skills or create more value? Or do you just seek the, the dead time? You're just trying to kill it. Are you just trying to be entertained, etc.? <laughs> the I think a, an important thing here is I ended up using the terminology in the book of thenist and nowist. But I'm referring to mindsets or ways of uh, thinking and ways of feeling and behaving, not to different groups of people. So it's important to, to underline that. So in the research, and as you say, that there's lots in there. It's a very science-based book, although I try to be clear about it. So we, we all have these two tendencies, and they're what you call orthogonal traits, in that somebody could be high on their nowist and low on thenist, or they could be high on both or low on both, if you can imagine that, and the listeners can imagine that. And that means that when somebody's really high on nowist, which means they really want to take action, they enjoy doing, they enjoy movement, they enjoy change and uncertainty, when you're high on that, and you're high on dentist, which means that you're good at seeing lessons from the past and imagining what might happen in the future. When both of those two things are in sync, you achieve the most. But when you're low on your nowest mindset, but you can see lots of possibilities, that's when you worry the most. And when you're low on dentist, you can't see all the angles but you want to achieve, you want to do lots, you do lots, but you might achieve very little. You're just busy getting lots of things done. Uh, and when you're low on both, you're kind of stuck. You're quite passive. You're surprised by what happens in the world because you can't see possibilities. You can't learn from the, the past and you're not doing anything either. So you can end up high or low on all of these things. And what the, the book shows and the research behind it shows is that we can all be high or low on both. And that means we can kind of shift ourselves into balance or out of balance once we learn a little bit more about it. Yeah, and that, that balance is actually key. It, it, you actually reminded me of another part of the book that, that I really enjoyed, which was this idea of, um, I think, I think you, if I'm remembering right, I think you called it the sort of multiple streams of now. But there was actually sort of a big warning against uh, you overfocus. I mean, we there's so much out there in the popular literature about the idea of dedicating yourself to one thing, mastery, you know, 10,000 hours, that whole deal. Um, and yes, for sure, it's dangerous to be sort of spread out. 
across a bunch of different things so you actually get no traction. But there's also a danger to being over-focused as well. Uh, you can have the underlived life. You know, the, yeah. the, you take out all, all the joy from it and the richness. That's one danger, I think, of just choosing the one big thing or seeking your one big mission. You imagine if you're someone who worries a lot about getting things right, and then you tell that person, find your one big thing, find the only thing to dedicate your life to, well, they, they might never get there and spend all their time just looking and casting around, being unhappy, thinking they've got to find it. Or alternatively, you might go all grit, like Angela Duckworth stuff, where you do decide to do one thing, uh, even though you're not enjoying it at all, ever, <laughs> for your whole career. Uh, and that's, it. that's only one way of reading her stuff. But I think it's quite important that we do not give up on joy and pleasure or because we have these big goals or that we don't kind of have an unrealistic view of what life's like, which to, to my experience is you've got still got to you, you have a family. So you have children or you have brothers and sisters and parents and friends and they want some time from you so, and your work and your hobby and your something else. And when you embrace that flux, it seems like quite a, a realistic, good place to be. Hmm. Interruptions are a part of life, and they can be a good part of life. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, uh, to, to be fair to, to Duckworth, I think she would say that there has to be that passion piece to call it kind of grit. But there, you're, you're still right about this idea of overfocus. I actually, in talking with my uh, students often, you know, I try and get them, when we're trying to figure out, you know, what do you want to do when you graduate, et cetera? I try and get them not to think about what is the job, but what are, what are the activities that you enjoy that are intrinsically motivating, et cetera. And then being open to the idea that you could fulfill those activities in multiple ways. And I, I use the example of my own career where, you know, some days I'm in the classroom as a professor and what am I doing? Well, I'm transferring good, well-researched ideas into people who need them. And other days I'm on the road and I'm speaking and what am I doing? Well, I'm transferring well-researched, good ideas to the people that need them. And then other days, like today, I'm recording a podcast and what am I doing? Well, I'm helping transfer well-researched, good ideas to the people who need them. So it's that, that idea that the activity can actually be fulfilled in multiple different ways, but you have to keep yourself open to all of that. You can't just say, I want to be this and name a position. I think you've got to say, I want to be doing this activity and I'm open to the multiple different ways that I can be doing that activity. I, I, I like how that brings it together. So the, the idea of the three streams of now is very much that, that three is an arbitrary number, but we can remember uh, most people know, know this, we can remember three to five chunks of information at any one time. That's how much working memory we have available. I always thought it you, was five plus or minus two. The, um, well, uh, I, I suppose I aim low <laughs> because, because I, I think if we're right that some attention spans are going down, um, it's better to, 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 to hang with what's possible. And if so with three, I go to within these three, you can have your uh, your description there of sharing information, making it sort of possible to share the, the information with other people. That's one of your streams, that kind of educator stream. That's core David Berkus. You want to transmit the stuff. But what, what about the other space? There might be space for the business business uh, of money that has to be earned, perhaps, and invested in the future. And then, of course, there's family. 
having those three streams allows us to kind of move between them and bear in mind that life is uh, fuller than just one mission uh, where you can only succeed or fail. There's nothing as a recompense for a bad day. You can't move anywhere else. Yeah. So, so definitely that, that, that's the side of three streams. You, you remember when St Steve Jobs, he, he came back to Apple and he had three really. Um, he wanted to secure Bill Gates' help to make sure that his whole, uh, the, the Macintosh world was viable in the world of business. Then he wanted to keep selling Macs. So he redesigned uh, and delivered the iMacs. And then he wanted to wait for the next big thing. So this kind of idea of three streams, I think, helps us not get over-focused or under-focused. So here's the follow-up question then. How does one know? I mean, you think about these different three streams, et cetera. How does one know whether or not they're leaning more nowist or thenist? And then uh, also, I mean, if, if you find out you're more thenist, how do you start to shift to be more nowist? Great question. The, in some of the original research that came from the, a guy called Kriglansky, he asked, he told one story, and so one story can help you know. He said, imagine you're parking your car with so, so two people are trying to park their car, going to a supermarket, and one wants to find the perfect parking place, and the other wants to get into the supermarket as fast as possible. If you want to get into the supermarket as fast as possible, you're much more nowist. And if you want the perfect parking place, you're much more thenist. So that's a simple way of understanding it. And we've all been one of those people or the other. The, the other way is that Kraglansky, it went on to write a whole set of questions to help you de determine this. And he'd ask you things like, I don't mind doing more things, even if they involve extra effort, or I feel excited when I'm about to reach a goal. I'm a doer. Or I think about my next project before I've even finished the one I'm in. The more of yeses you answer to these questions, the more nowest you are. Or on the other side, I spend a great deal of time criticizing other people. I spend time evaluating my own work. Uh, I, when I'm, I'm very self-critical and self-conscious about what I'm doing. I do things just to get the results rather than enjoying doing them. And the more there you've answered yes, the more thenist you are feeling. But again, it's a mindset thing. So we could feel both at the same time or be high or low on either. Yeah, I'm pretty sure on that parking question, I have definitely been both people at different times. And I, it's interesting to think what the different uh, environments that led me to think that that one way or another are. I guess that, that begs the sort of follow-up question. So if I'm trying to skew myself more nowist, what do you recommend I do to help keep myself in the mindset of nowist? I think part of it is rem remembering the last time, a lot of this, the psychology and the, the experiments that have been done can prime you or prompt you to behave in a more thenist way or a more nowist way. And they do that usually by reminding, getting someone to remind themselves of when they last felt powerful taking action. And just remembering that feeling of power that comes from taking action is enough to prime us to be more likely to take action right now. So you can prime yourself to, to, to get on and get moving rather than wait till you feel like moving. 
And I think that's one of the differences between the, this approach and a pure mindfulness approach is that you're seeking to move forward after you have done your coping rather than merely coping and staying uh, where you are. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about the individual, how to adopt that sort of Taoist philosophy, the three streams, etc. cetera. Uh, one of the things I found really interesting, and it, was, and it was towards the back, and I think it was in the toolkit section, but I, I wanted to make sure that you, you talk briefly about it, is the idea of inside of teams and organizations, how do we build a culture or a structure that actually lets these Taoists thrive or even encourages people to sort of adopt this more Taoist behavior? What are, what are the organizational changes on the horizon when people actually start to implement this Taoist idea? Well, I feel a bit like a politician saying that's a very good question you've asked me. Thank you. But it certainly is because in the business area, we let's think about uh, Dan Pink's drive for, for a moment. He talks about three areas, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Uh, and a lot of the people listening will be aware of those. But that comes from some work on six things that you need to be happy. And he focuses on three, but there are three others, growth, relationships, and self-acceptance. A lot of the work in this book is on growth and self-acceptance uh, and relationships, really. It's the bit, the thing that really motivates us to keep moving and keep doing. We want that sense of speed, that sense of getting somewhere. Well, if you think about your organization, you will find we, we measure organizations by what they achieve. If we have, and we need a certain number of people in the organization that really have this nowest desire to make things happen, good things. But if your organization is too slow for them, they will either become very depressed, really, or more likely they will go off and either cause havoc in your organization or leave altogether. And they're judging your organization not just on what they can achieve, but how fast they're allowed to move. Hmm. And that means sometimes these people with sort of high nowist tendencies will go for uh, unusual organizations. They might go into the, the military. Because although they're being told what to do, having quite a strong hierarchy allows them to move fast and to have lots of experiences and to feel a sense of movement and change and risk and challenge, this growth side. Or, or they might want an organization that has very few rules because they want, again, to get on and prove themselves. They go for the stereotypical startup uh, in Silicon Valley or wherever it is in the world because they want to move very fast. And so one way of judging your culture is, are we getting things done and have we got a climate and a structure that allows our nowists to get on with things rather than always being sabotaged and told to wait? Uh, they don't like it and it's a waste of their ability to move things forward. So uh, you've actually made me feel better. We started out talking about this, me feeling bad because of my entertainment insurance and feeling like I'm not enough of a, a nowist. But now you've actually described 
everything that frustrates me about a lot of organizations, which makes me think maybe I'm over nowist. Maybe, maybe that's why I'm so frustrated as I'm more uh, in that regard. So if anything, in addition to being a great radio episode, this has been a wonderful psychiatry session. I will uh, just send me, <laughs> send me the bill and I'll get you paid uh, as quickly as possible. But um, the, if, you, if you've been feeling that too as you've been listening, check out the book. It is, it is called Now or Hashtag Now. In the, in the three seconds you decide uh, you know, what you want to call it and we'll go from there. But now the surprising truth about the power of now. Max, you know what is happening right now or what transition we're making right now because you've been on the show before. It's time for our five questions we ask all guests. Are you ready for that? I am. I'm ready for that. So the first question, what's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I've ever received, actually, it's both family advice. My father, who said it's only money, which I think is a rather neat way of just deciding what matters and what doesn't matter. Clearly, you have to pay bills, but you have to get things in proportion. And my grandmother, who who was the one who first started telling me that I should always have three things. I should have three areas of business, for instance, so that you could move between one and the other and not uh, not get too stressed uh, about any of them. Oh, now that's really interesting. Do you think that set up a precursor to the three streams of now? Well, I think it was in there as an inkling. I should say, actually, while we're back on stress, um, the other great bit of advice I got the other day was somebody read my book and said, you know what this book's about? It's about learning to ride stress like a mule. Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, You know, to to start to love it, to think the pressure and everything's good. You know, breathe in, breathe out, move on type of uh, sense. Yeah. Next question. I like it. I like it. What's an average day look like for you? You're running three different types of businesses at the same time. What, What does an average day look like for you? Well, an average day is probably a third of each of the things. So I'd be giving a third of a keynote and a third of a a strategy, sort of coaching session and a third of writing something more academic. So I move between those. When I'm home, I try to start my day by taking my 10-year-old off to, to school, walking with him to school. that's always a great start Uh, and then on the way back you get to set up everything for the rest of the day Uh, if I'm traveling off uh, taxi will pick me up later and off to the airport Uh, and uh, if I'm not it's into the office to to start looking at varying ideas and then later on uh, go to the the climbing wall in the evening and uh, sort of burn off some extra energy hmm uh, what are you reading right now? I am reading, rereading really, some Le Carre. So Le Carre is a UK author. He's famous elsewhere. I think people will have heard of his work it, uh, recently with the Night Manager, which has been fairly popular worldwide. And he writes about the the world of espionage, mainly uh, all over the world. And he has a character called George Smiley, who is described as the two things, the, the illusionless man, because he sees the world as it is, but then also the last of the rational men. And he, he fights and makes his efforts on behalf of rationality in the world, uh, rather than the forces of 
irrationality from uh, whichever political party, creed or country. What do you believe that most people don't? You know, I never have an answer to this one. <laughs> I, believe, I think I'm probably a great eccentric and I'm unaware of the fact. So I probably believe a great deal. I believe that in everything, everything resides. So you can you can look at uh, a, a butterfly on a flower and understand the world and the nature of the world, or you can read a Marvel comic and understand the nature of the world. It seems to me that um, everything is in everything. And so, yeah, uh, I think uh, I think that's probably what I believe, that there's truth in everything you ever look at. Hmm. That's an interesting insight. That's fair. Uh, so the title of the show, as you know, this is our final question. The title of the show is Radio Free Leader. In your view, what makes someone a leader? A leader is someone who can be followed, uh, not obeyed, but followed as in the scout, the one who goes before. Uh, I think in this book, we found that nowists tend to be followed because they go somewhere, they beat a path forward. Now, sometimes that's you send scouts forward. Sometimes that's you send inventors forward. But we, we want a leader to lead us somewhere rather than just either managers or give us their opinion. We want someone worth following to somewhere better. See, that's actually funny. I was going to ask you a follow-up question, which breaks from our standard tradition on do you think that nowists make better leaders than thenists? But you answered the question in your, you answered the second question in your answer to the first question. So way to shape your own future there on a minuscule level. We did it. <laughs> we proved the concept right here on the episode. No, that's awesome. So the book again is now The Surprising Truth About the Power of Now. The man is Max McEwen. Uh, it's been a fascinating interview. Like I said, I will uh, send me the bill and I will get you paid for our, our psychiatry session that happened in the middle of the episode. Um, but I want to encourage people to check out the book and check out uh, your work as well. We'll obviously be keeping tabs on you because you're a regular favorite on the podcast. So I look forward to the fourth time sometime in the future when we when we chat again. Max, thank you so much for joining us on Radio Free Leader. Thank you so much. <laughs> 